If you remember, the Moses and Aaron were warning Pharaoh about this frog-headed heck. Those of you who remember from last week, what the heck, or hecked, for which then the magicians were able to replicate, but they were not able to remove. And Pharaoh has to come and ask, please, could you remove these dumb frogs? Which I remind you, they were not able to step on or kill. And yet God wipes out the entire legion of frogs. Verse 15 is where we left off. We'll read that for our segue text and then go right to verse 16 today. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod, and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all of the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All of the dust of the land became lice. All throughout the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth the lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you so much for the power you display, for the very conscious, systematic disqualification of everything else that we would seek to replace you, so that we're left with this simple choice, the real God or nothing. And God, I thank you for how clear you present yourself, how perfect your love, how rich your mercy, how great your grace. I pray for that fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon me, Lord. That as you anoint me, God, that you do that which I cannot humanly do. That you minister to every one of us today. Every one of us. Minister in such a way, Lord, that we could be personally spoken to. Personally challenged where we need be. Personally encouraged where we need be. Personally affirmed where we need be. And Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, let this be the day of their salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We read in Psalm 1611, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh God, may we dwell in that joy as we seek now to draw near to you. Let your word mean more today in this text than we've ever known this text to mean. May we have fun in this text. And may you truly perform the therapy you have ordained as we commit this time to you now. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Well, let me introduce you to somebody, as you're probably aware of. God has made clear that He is to the nation of Israel, to everyone. He is God Almighty. The term in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Can you say El Shaddai? El Shaddai. Beautiful term, God Almighty. The problem is, to learn that God is Almighty, that means you have to learn that God is mightier than everything. Now, theoretically, we know that. Theoretically, in our heads, we could probably argue that doctrine with just about anyone. It's practically where we have the problem. When the bills are due. When the world is becoming in our face. When the sin rears its ugly head. When, when life basically becomes life in front of us, we find ourselves in a real problem. Because now, well, now what do we do? And God reminds you, I am El Shaddai. I believe it's 5,541 times, I think, in Scripture that he's going to call himself that. 141 of those times he's going to call himself that in Exodus. And he really, really wants you to know that. 
Now, remember, Israel has been in Egypt for 430 years. Of those 430 years, 400 of those years, they've been slaves. That's all you've known for four centuries. For four centuries. Almost half a millennium. So that's all you've known. That's all your dad's known. That's all your grandpa's known. He's been slavery. We know how to make bricks. That's what we do. We are a brick-making people. That's it. And God wants to deliver you out of that. So you can cling to whatever your nationality is and say, well, we're drunks, we're Irish, we're late, we're... And you can put almost any nationality behind that one, isn't it? You know, it's Ghanaian time, it's Congolese time, it's Spanish time, it's, it's late time is what it is. And you know, when you say, oh, well, we're violent because we're this, you know, we shoot people, we're Sicilian. I mean, that's, you can kind of, you play your things out. And God says, look at, no, 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 I want to completely change that. And there becomes this danger among Christians to try to find our identity first and foremost in something we're much more familiar with than the newness of our Christianity. And what happens is we become, in essence, a little bit monochrome. In other words, we become a little bit like everyone kind of looks like each other. So, you know, Bruno has a special, like, everyone's got to shave their head and be Portuguese group, you know. (laughs) You know, that's kind of the thing. You know, or if you're, you know, and it's like, and you have the groups and I'm not, I don't want to pick on groups that are sort of like the blank Christian group, as long as the Christian part means more than the other part, if that makes sense. And because otherwise what happens is, is that somebody else walks in there and they don't even feel like they could even fellowship because they're not the other thing that makes sense. And that becomes a danger. Well, please understand in order for God to get Egypt out of you, and that's all your Egypt, by the way. In order for God to get the Egypt out of you, he's going to start taking down everything that you know that was your security, that was what you got guidance from, what you, got, what you felt safe from. He's going to show you that all of those things really just don't work. But God does. Remember, he's not a God of nots. He's a God of instead of. And the good news is, is God is constantly in the battle for my heart. You can decide how honest you want to be with yours. God is constantly in battle for my heart saying, instead of, have me. God speaking. So instead of this, you can have me, you know. Instead of this, you can have me. Now, now God doesn't say, you know, look, I want you to sell your stuff and, and live as a pauper and live in a cave somewhere. Now, for some, you might say that. For me, he hasn't. He'd rather me out on the streets. But in that, the idea is simple. God does not want to compete. Now, please understand something, something that tripped up Oprah many years ago, that poor lady... She said she couldn't believe in a God that got jealous. I wouldn't want to believe in a God that didn't. You see, you can't get jealous of something you don't want. That's the point. God is not jealous of your stuff. God is jealous of you because that's what he wants. Thank God we have a God who wants us. You know what I'm saying? If God's jealous of your car, it's because somehow you chose to love your car more than him. I mean, aren't you glad you don't have to get God insurance? You know what I'm saying? God is your insurance. That's the beauty in it. So in that, God is systematically taking down all the things that are worshipped in Egypt so that, by the way, not only the Israelis, but also the Egyptians are going to know there's one God, and he's the one God, therefore he's God Almighty. He is the one thing left standing when everything else hits the dirt. Hits the dirt. That's where we're at today. He has disqualified their source of life, which is the Nile. That's where we started, if you remember He's disqualified their purpose in life, which was, by the way, heck, the frog-headed chick, if you remember. Pardon me for using such a term. So let's go right to the nitty-gritty of today, shall we? Take a look at this cute little cutie. Don't you just love him? I thought Shantae would love him because he looks like he has a duck on his head. It's a goose, by the way. Duck, duck, no, goose. So, um, sorry, this is Jib. Jeb is his name, apparently. And Jeb, by the way, for what it's worth, his story is a little bit sorted. You can flip to the next slide if you want to. He's the son, by the way, of Shu. Um, you can see him again with it. It looks like a pelican there, doesn't it? You know? Which, by the way, I don't know if... Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know if you really ever would want to worship anything. Well, you shouldn't anyways, but want to worship anything that's got a seagull on his head. But um, I don't want to pick too hard on Jeb. He can do it himself. He's the son of Shu, by the way, again, again according to Egyptian mythology, who is the god of the air and the, 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 the goddess of Tefnut, who, by the way, is the god of the clouds. And he, by the way, um, is... Uh, there's a little bit more about him you'll learn from the next picture, I think, is the next one you'll see. And that is that this is his sister, by the way, Nut. 
And apparently, according to, and I, you know, if you're going to make up your gods, I think you should make them a little cleaner than this, but basically they're married. They are brother and sister, but being in the whole of Pharaohic line, that's actually a very common thing. If you remember, the gals normally, the daughters of Pharaohs normally picked the next Pharaoh, so often their brothers often married them so they could be in line for it. So the idea is, you know, Big Sis is kind of the goddess of the night sky or the sky, so she's kind of covering the sky, and there he is. And he, by the way, is the goddess of the earth. Between them, they have children. The children are Seth. By the way, some would say he's the god of earth. He's the god of chaos. Osiris and Isis, by the way, are these uh, their kids, which tells you why they're kind of messed up. Uh, but the, 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 if you look at something, go ahead and flip to the next slide, if you would, please. And this is one of the wall reliefs where you can see this. By the way, um, this is mom holding them up because remember she's also handling the sky. So she's holding sister off of brother is kind of the idea. That's, that's mom and dad keeping brother and sister away from each other, but they keep having kids anyways. Next slide, please. Um, um, he is represented, by the way, in he's a green guy for, for what it's worth. Um, green because he's the god of earth and dust um, for what it's worth. So do I have one more slide. Is that right or is that it? That's it. Okay, thank you. Can go ahead and, you can kill him. I don't want to look at that guy anymore. Um, the joke by him, by the way, and it's true, what they used to teach is that when he laughed, the earthquake. That was what earthquakes were, they thought, was Jeb laughing. Uh, I don't know what's, um, you know. I would think that the earth is, was moving Jeb word at that point. Anyways, uh, for what that's worth. Um, there, because of some of the wall reliefs that they looked at, it looked like, sorry, it looked like he was holding people. And so they would, so some would say that he was holding people for the afterlife. Some people were saying that he was imprisoning people from the afterlife. I really don't know. But if you were to look at Alas, too, like for instance, the idea of that was to be Pharaoh. Um, and because Pharaoh's throne was supposed to be called the throne of Jeb. And the reason was is that Pharaoh was supposed to be the connection between heavens and earth. And you know what he used, of course. Do you know what his conduit was for the, uh, for the spiritual world? It was his wise men, right? And so this whole thing, God's not going to just take down Jeb. He's going to take down these wise men, these magicians as well. This will be where the magicians get disqualified and they will never be able to stand up for another plague again. This is it. This is the one that takes them down. They're fired. I mean, and a few of them are going to get boils and Pharaoh says, I don't even want to look at you anymore. No, here's the way that basically people tried to connect. The idea was kind of simple, was that people recognized that there was an earth. And as they recognized there was an earth, they had the responsibility to that earth by worshiping it. And if they could worship it, then the earth would be good to them or Jeb would be good to them. That's kind of the idea it would be. They were sort of the pioneers of earth worship, which, of course, today um, in England, there's arguably 10% of the people claim to have some form of earth worship basis to their their worship, by the way. Um, and I'm not just talking about somebody who tells you to recycle. Now, a little bit of information about dust just to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, and we'll get into our text and see how this plays out. 33% of the air pollution, except on a good day like this when it's raining, is dust. Now, dust, God actually had a creature created to eat dust. Are you aware of that? They're called dust mites. The problem with dust mites are that they, well, when you eat, you've got to let that go somewhere. And what they let go on the other side is what people find themselves allergic to. You're allergic to dust mite poop. Doesn't that make you feel good? Let me make you feel even better. There are 1 to 10 million, on average, 1 to 10 million dust mites in the average mattress. <laughs> Sleep well tonight. <laughs> With that in mind as well, by the way, but that's not where the majority of them live. The majority of them live in your carpet. Who's itching now? Yeah. According to the Center of Disease Control, 13 million tons of dust blows from Africa to the Americas a year. 13 million tons, of which by the majority of it lands in Florida. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm from California. It doesn't bother me. Now, again, in God's plagues, this is his pattern. Two are warnings, and then the third one comes without warning. Two are warnings. And then the next one comes without warning. This is our third plague, so this one comes without warning. He doesn't come before Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, it's going to be a really bad day for you tomorrow. You might want to put on some calamine lotion. You might want to get some aloe. No, uh-uh. As a matter of fact, this one just comes without warning. And, and he could have just said, wave, sneeze, do a little dance, click your heels, and I'm just going to make everyone covered in fleas. But he doesn't. God knows what he's doing. And with that, it says that the Lord says, verse 16, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice. 
Now, the word here, by the way, is the word, and this is an easy word in the Hebrew, the word ken. Can you say ken? Now today, by the way, the word ken, lengthened, is the word for yes. So it's, don't be confused. So it isn't like you're going, if someone looks at you and goes, ken, don't think, lice. You're going to try to get lice on <laughs> They're probably saying yes. And if you then say what, and they say ken again, then you're in trouble. The word literally means, but I don't you know this, every Hebrew word comes from a verb. And the Hebrew word that it comes from, by the way, is ken. That just tells you where we're working from. And a word means to burrow, to dig, and to suck. Now, we, then we have to figure out, we have to figure out what that animal is, which by the way, anything, let me tell you what fits into that category just to make you feel even better. Fleas, ticks, yeah, you feeling good? Mosquitoes, leeches, have a nice day. Basically the term we could use is parasite. What a parasite is, is something that attaches to its host and sucks. Isn't that the idea? Now, listen, Aaron takes a rod, bam, and he hits the ground, dust flies up, as you would expect on a dusty day. Now, the problem is God has not distinguished Goshen yet. He'll do that in the next chapter, which means this is a day it really, really doesn't, you didn't want to get to work today as Aaron, because it's going to cover him too. We don't have any record here that the Israelites are going to not experience this. Now, they might, but I think God is actually teaching them something with this, too. Now, bam, all the dust flies up. And notice it says, all the dust of Egypt. Now, how much dust do you think there is in Egypt? I mean, if God did that and he did it in my room, that'd be too many. If God did it in a sterile environment, there would be too many, in my opinion. But to do it in Egypt? And the, the land is covered in parasites. On every beast, on everyone. It's a bad day. Won't you think? Now, what in the world is God saying? We'll put it in this way. God didn't have him hit the tree and every leaf turned into something. Could have, but he didn't. God didn't have him hit a cow and all the hair that fell off turned into something. Had him hit the dust. I think, hmm. The people are trying to connect with the earth through Jeb because that's what they find themselves attached to. And I think, dust, dust. Where do I start learning about dust? All the way back in the book of Genesis where God took dust in Genesis 2, 7, and made a man. Now look at, can I just say it as politely as I can? All y'all, just a bunch of dirt balls. <laughs> Be warm to fill. Speak for myself. I'm one too. DA, baby. Dirt balls anonymous. Me too. Now listen. God will say, dust you are, dust you'll return. Because dust is what you're made of. And all of a sudden, the whole thing blows wide open for me. Can I just say it? Earthlings suck. See, here's the idea. What we are made of is dust. Even the Egyptians knew that we were made of dust. I have a feeling they learned it from the, the Hebrews. But as they learned that, now we have to take a second look at dust. In other words, I have to take a second look at what I'm made of. Now, interesting, in Scripture, God is going to walk me through. As a matter of fact, when he curses the serpent, he says, you're going down on your belly on the dust. It doesn't seem like a good place for anyone that would, anyone would want to be, especially anyone with allergies. And I start to realize that God starts to delineate from the time of Adam onward two different groups of people those that are of the earth and those that he calls sons of God. Now, some want to get really crazy about this and start saying that this is actually something physical, as if angels are copulating with someone over here and creating demons. And I mean, the whole thing gets so nutty, I don't even want to develop it. But let's get into the most basic point. You're going to belong to one or the other. And if you belong to the earth, you suck. 
Now listen. Six times in the book of Revelation, God's going to close the deal on those who belong to the earth. That'll be their final allegiance. In 3.10, it tells us that the time of tribulation is an hour of testing to test those who dwell upon the earth. In 6.10, it was those that were underneath the altar that say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth? In chapter 11, verse 10, two prophets die. Testimonies, by the way, of the God and His love and His gospel. And when they die, it says that there are those who dwell upon the earth and they rejoice over the two prophets dying. When the Antichrist comes in chapter 13, verse 14, it says he deceives those by signs who dwell upon the earth. Interesting, because by chapter 14, we read that an everlasting an angel spans the earth, proclaiming the everlasting gospel to those who dwell upon the earth. Don't miss that. Even after they've been so rotten, so deceived, rejoicing over dead prophets, happy dead prophets day. Even after all of that, an angel shares the, the gospel with him because he doesn't want you to end up the way you started. Ultimately, it tells us that in chapter 17, verse 6, that those who dwell upon the earth will marvel at the Antichrist and their names are not written in the book of life. I don't want to be there. How about you? Here's the problem. We were all born there. We're born on this earth. And as we're born on this earth, you were born, there's, you're dust. I'm dust. That's where we start. And you know what? Everything about us in this world demonstrates that. This is what the Bible says, though, about this world. In 2 Peter 3.10, and I might want to start with this, Jesus promised us in Matthew 5 that blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. And of course, there are some that say, well, yeah, we're going to get this one. And I'd say, you can have it. There are others like myself that would say, if this is what we get, who wants it? 2 Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt in fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. How does that make you feel? If all you're attached to is this earth, that doesn't sound so good. In 2 Peter 3.13, it says, We according then to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, the difference is when God says you'll inherit the earth, he's going, but you're not going to get this one. Why would you want this one? This one's already got an expiration date. It's got a shelf life and it won't last forever. Now listen, in 1 Corinthians 15, let me bring this to a head and start talking about where we're moving with this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is comparing two different individuals. Adam, the first man, the first earthly man, and Jesus Christ, the first heavenly man. And when he does, he says this in chapter 15, verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Now, let me put it in a way that may make sense to you when I'm learning this stuff myself. Jesus made very clear, a man cannot serve two masters. And you're going to have one to choose or the other. One is going to be your operating system, and at best, one is going to be an app. Now, you've learned certain operating systems only take certain apps. Have you learned that? If you've got a Mac, there are certain things that only it will take that a PC won't. And if you're a little older or even younger and you don't get all that, forgive me. But just work with me on this for a moment. If you choose your allegiance to this world, you choose your allegiance to things that are temporary. And you can get ahead temporarily. You can win temporarily. You could be important temporarily. You could feel great temporarily because everything on this earth is temporary. 
So what happens? You get rich, but then you die. And I've heard, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Howard Hughes. He at one time was considered the richest man that ever lived. The guy turned psycho as a result of it. And he became one of those guys that like walked around with white gloves and couldn't breathe the air because he thought there were germs in it, which we all agree there are. And maybe you heard this message and heard all that dust mite stuff and that was it for him. But, but in all of that, when he died, someone asked his accountant, so how much did he leave behind? And the accountant being a little bit cheeky said, what do you mean? He left it all. And in, whether you like it or not, you're, you are going to leave it all. Now, my kids are praying I get rich because they want to inherit it because they know I'm going to leave it, so I'm not going to need it. I tell them they can have all my bills. <laughs> now, listen. Swearing allegiance to this earth, there is a season that you think it will benefit you. The Bible even says sin is fun for a season. But I've learned this about the devil. He works on credit. Have you learned that yet? You get the goods up front, and then you spend the rest of your life paying for it. Five easy payments, my eye. There are things that you're like, oh, I got it. I got what I wanted, and I lost what I had. And you know, have you ever bought something, and by the time you paid it off, it doesn't even work anymore? <laughs> you know, Five easy payments. You're making your last payment, and you're like, I hated this thing by the third payment. You know, and they, they, I think they do this like these special like secret tests. They find out you're going to hate it by this date. So the warranty is till two days before that. So you can't return it now. You're like, this thing's dumb. And they're like, we are, we already knew that. But ha ha ha, figured it out too late now, didn't you? And, and the reason I say that is, is that there are going to be people that are going to wake up one day and go, man, I had, I had so much. And that's all there is. And you're just like Jeb. And you're like looking out. We're saving a world. And, and look at I'm not telling you don't try to recycle. I'm not telling you don't care for the panda or anything like that. Christians should be the ones caring for animals more than anyone else because we're the ones who don't believe in survival of the fittest. We believe that, that God made life and life is valuable for which we should be out there doing something about. Now, that shouldn't be our fundamental thing because the most important life are human beings and we should be doing a lot about that. Now, now in all of that, though, you're polishing the Titanic. I dare say it. God has told us this thing's going down. But you've got a period of time here before the whistle blows and you've got a challenge to do what you're going to do with it. Now, you strike the dust and what happens? You learn your dust is a lot more than just dust. The deeper you look into it, the more you realize something's rough. Now, you remove God from the scene. Let me tell you what you have. You have an entirely different world. This is what I learned about the world. The world sucks fuel, the world sucks money. The world sucks vitality. I mean, the older you get, you don't get, I mean, you get stronger for a little bit. You hit your peak, but sooner or later, you're going to run down that hill or roll down that hill. You climb. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm here to give you a broader view. And so what do we do? We meet people and we say, make me happy. Make me complete. Make me important. Make me feel good about me. You know what I'm doing, right? I'm sucking. That's what I'm doing. We're all rocking around with a straw. And we're going, hmm, how could you make me feel better about me? How could you make me feel good about me? How could you make me important? How could you? The problem is they're walking around sucking too. Because earthlings suck. That is the world's economy. And that has happened since the day of the fall. And that's why we don't trust people. Let's be honest. Because if we don't see the straw, we know what's there anyway. So someone's being nice and we're like, where's the straw? You know what I'm saying? And they're like, you are so nice. We're like, mm -hmm, where's the straw? Just come on. Just tell me right away. Don't, don't pretend. And at the end of it all, you find yourself so depleted and so empty. And for what? And you know what? You got less out of it. You worked so hard and you got so little for it. But let me introduce you to God's economy. God's economy says, if you surrender, you'll win. How does that work? If you give, you'll get. If you sacrifice, you'll be blessed. And you go, I don't get that. See, God's economy is about giving. And because God's economy is about giving, there's something strange that happens when we actually stop holding on to our stuff and grabbing a hold of everyone else's and we let go and hold on to the Lord. Something really changes. Now, I'll tell you what. I was not humanly capable of doing that before I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you were. I doubt it. But I can tell you this. When Jesus got a hold of me for real, I didn't have to, have, I didn't have to, to tell you, make me complete, because I was already complete. 
I didn't have to tell you, make me important, because I was already important. The cross proved that. I didn't tell you, make me feel good about myself. I feel great about myself. Not about my sinful self, but about the fact that God knows everything about me, but he loved me so much he'd rather die than live without me. How much more important can I or you be than that? And that's what we're looking at here. And all of a sudden, I start to realize that if I'm, bam, I'm going to hit the ground and I see this dust from which I'm made of, that dust is going to settle, but that dust is going to settle on me. And I've probably heard all those things about the majority of the dust underneath your bed is your dead skin anyways. Boy, that makes me feel great about myself. You know? And then I think, think some of it, there more needs to come off than is already down there. And I look at it and I start to realize that this is what happens. The problem is Christians, we could still try to be part of that first Adam. You know, I got saved because I'm sucking from Jesus. But you know what? I still think it's about me. And because it's still about me, I'm still going to build a church about making me important, the church of important me, or the church about the consumer. So you all come in. And what's a consumer? That's, can I just say it? That's a bunch of suckers. That's what it is. Y'all a bunch of suckers, right? I mean, that's it. We come in. I come in. I just give me a place where I can, I can suck and just do not have to give anything. But see, Jesus didn't call us all together to be entertained. So we can all walk out and go, I did my duty. God must be happy with me now. There's got to be a place where we could actually stick around long enough to, to watch God do spiritual gifts through us that we didn't even know we possessed. And all of a sudden, we're lit up about Jesus and we're thankful about his, his gift on the cross for us. And we find ourselves teaching and encouraging and praying and exhorting and prophetic words are coming out. And it isn't like some guy's going, oh, you know, and all of a sudden King James flies out of his mouth and Shakespeare's happening. I mean, to be honest, it's something a lot too often. It's much more organic than that. And all of a sudden, someone with the gift of mercy is displaying their gift of mercy. And someone with the gift of helps is displaying a gift of helps. And someone with the gift of giving is giving. And you look at and nobody had to tell anyone anything except for this. Love Jesus and watch what happens. But the problem is, how do you know how good you're going to be on a team unless you're on one? You know, you stick a bunch of guys and you stick them out on the field. Sooner or later, you know which one can kick the ball in and which one can stop it. But it's like, you know, I mean, you put one guy, you put one guy on the field. You'll never know how good he could block a ball when he's there by himself. And you could go all day and you go, well, that was really sweet. Looked like a dance to me. But, you know, in the end of it all, you got to be on a team to start seeing who does what. Does that make sense? I didn't go to pastor school. I didn't go to some Bible school so that I could discover my calling. I fell in love with Jesus and got around people and I couldn't stop doing what I'm doing. Now, that could irritate you if you don't want to be taught. But I've also learned this on the other side of it. And if we all do what God called us to, this body thrives. I mean, this body will never thrive because the pastor loves Jesus. This body will thrive because the body loves Jesus. I'm just a part of it. I mean, how much of your body thrives if your spleen's doing really well and that's it? Have you ever thought about it, you know? I mean, think about it. If our body functioned like Jesus' body, we'd be in bed. I won't even mention anyone, but just, yeah. So listen, I've noticed this though. In verse 18, it says, the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth the lice, but they couldn't. You know why they couldn't? Because they're made of the same dust themselves. They were trying to call in a God of magic that was going to fail them because they were trying to connect to the earth for that magic. And the bottom line was, they're just dust too. It says in Scripture, teach me to know who I am that men are just, they're but dust. That's what we are. And that's okay if I realize that that part of me gets retired, but it's not all that I am. Now, the magicians have to conclude in verse 19, this is the finger of God. This isn't Someone's better magic. This isn't that Moses is stronger than us. There's, well, this God, he is showing himself to be mightier. And these magicians are going to have to conclude one day that he is almighty, almighty. But if God's people haven't really concluded that in their hearts, how is the world going to conclude that? So what if I were to attach myself to Jesus? I mean, to say, Lord, you be everything. You be my allegiance, my citizenship. What would that look like? 
Well, first of all, there's going to be some numbskull out there that's going to tell you, and they might even be a Christian that's been misinformed. Have you ever heard this? You can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Has anyone ever told you that? Might I just say this? If you're not heavenly minded, you're not earthly good. And the reason is, is God wants us to operate from the operating system of eternity, not the temporary. And if all of my decisions were based on an eternal paradigm, everything changes. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, so what job do I get? Well, well, I get more money right now. Well, wait a minute. Well, which one will have a bigger effect on eternity? Well, I really don't know. Well, I'm going to get to the Lord and ask him. I am going to correlate. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to correlate with you, and I want to find out. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says about this beautiful list of people who all exercised fantastic faith with great grace as God looks at them. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These people that God exalts in the hall of faith, he says, you know what, let me tell you about them. They knew this earth wasn't their home. This was their campground. Now, Amina and Janae are heading to Little Snoring for the Little Snoring Festival. It's actually a place in England, Little Snoring. (laughs) The Little Snoring Festival. They can't wait. They hear it's a, a restful time. And... They get there, and, and somebody there is so happy to see, and they said, Amina, I've seen you on TV on that, that fashion show, and you know, I just I want to bless you. So here it is. Here's our hotel. Here's a spending card. You can spend whatever you want on this hotel, but it has to stay in the hotel when you're done. So you can go to the gift stores. You can go to the little convenience store in the hotel, spend whatever you want, but it can't leave the hotel. And Amina and Janae go, that's really awesome. And the first day, they're like, party, we're going to get everything. I mean, they get stuff they don't drink, food they won't eat. It's just sitting around their room, right? You know, the second day, they've got six flat screen TVs. They have to push them off the bed so they can sleep. But they got flat screens. And this one's plasma, you know. And they're like kind of looking at that. And they, you know, they, they hit a, you know, one remote and they try to figure out which TV it goes to. I mean, it's like, you know, they've got couches now and they're jumping up and down between them. And they think, this is awesome. But inevitably, there is a day when they're going to have to check out. And when they check out, one way or another, they're going to have to get out of that room. And when they do, it's done. And then they're going to come back. And they'll ask, how was the festival? They're like, oh, festival, I missed it. <laughs> Why? I was too busy drinking Mountain Dew and jumping up and down on the couch. And then we're like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, I, I, I got so caught up in my hotel room, I forgot what real life was happening. And can I just warn you? This is a hotel room. This life you're living right now, now you don't know when you're checking out, but you are checking out. And you know what's really cool? Is that someday you're going to wake up from all of this and you're either going to wake up bankrupt or you are going to wake up rich. Because in the end of it all, you could decorate, you could nip and tuck and you could inject and do all you want and implant and whatever, but in the end of it all, you're still leaving it in your hotel room. (laughs) And that hotel room is made of dust. Friends, listen to what we read in Colossians chapter 3. Since you were raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. Set your heart and mind on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. You'll appear with him in glory. Does the Bible tell me to set my mind on things above? Hello, that's Colossians 3.2. Not on the things of this earth. Now, I'm not telling you don't pay your bills because that's an earthly thing. Because then what's happening is you're being a bad witness to somebody you could preach the gospel to. And you go, well, that's all right. I'll just preach the gospel to the creditors. Like, they're going to listen to you. (laughs) And I say, you know, hello, we need all that money. And you're like, "Uh aha, can I talk to you about Jesus? Hello, hello. You know, you, you know. We're going to send a knuckle breaker. I'll preach the gospel to him. Ah, okay, Lord, don't you? I mean, in the end of all, you know better. But you know what? It motivates everything I do. I want to do everything well so I can represent. 
And as I heard from where I came from, either you representing or you perpetrating. That's what I heard. You know, I mean, either you're going to represent the Lord or you're going to stand against them. Whoever's not for us is against us. And the whole point here in all this, beloved, is listen. The Lord wants our minds over the, over the overcast. Now, you know there's a sun up there, right, today? Yeah, I mean, we have to, but we have to do it by faith now, don't we? And in this country, we get to exercise great faith that there's a sun up there. I mean, we know because right now the sky is falling a lot. And you're probably really happy to be in here. I am. But if you were in a plane, it will ascend sooner or later to a place where the horizon's a lot bigger than this. And you'll see a beautiful sun and you'll see an endless veranda of clouds and you'll go, this is a lot bigger than I remember. Beloved, before I gave my life to Jesus, before you gave your life to Jesus, you lived under that overcast and that's all you could see. Now, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus, I'll bring you to that point here in a moment where you can make that choice. But please understand, the Lord would like to pull you out of that whole thing and show you a world so far beyond the tiny little thing. Man, where I was raised, I gotta tell you, it's, it's enough to know my block where I came from. You don't know much more than that. It's amazing how much geography I know now compared to where I came from because I could, just, I could get you on a bus from one side of Chicago to the other, but that was it. And that's where I started. But please follow me on this, and I'll wrap this up with a few things that Jesus says about coming, and we'll get out. Where I first came from, things were pretty rough. Alarms went off <laughs> regularly. That was planned. And let's say Juan says, I want to show you something. And I meet him in my neighborhood, and of course, I would think he was actually from 71st and Western, because he's Spanish. But, um, you know, but I had an asshole going, okay, is it good? All right, I'm like, okay, but he's going to get me in his car, and he's going to pull me out, right? And as he drives me out of Chicago, out of the south side of Chicago, he starts pulling me a little farther north. And I go, wow, this is the coolest place I've ever seen, because people aren't shooting each other everywhere. And I think, this is really, this is really cool. And you know what? In my small world, I would have thought that's, the, that's as cool as it gets, right? And Juan just looks and he goes, oh, we're not there yet. I'm like, okay. And he starts pulling me into the suburbs. And now as he starts to pull me into the suburbs, grass is getting green. I mean, then there is grass and there are trees and there are animals that live in those trees, not just like homeless people living in the trees, but like the other animals <laughs> that live in the trees, right? And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is, this is beautiful. This is it, huh? And Juan goes, oh, no, 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 we're not there yet. I'm like, whoa, okay. So we drive a little bit farther and we get in a plane. As we get in a plane, he flies us to, to the Canary Islands. And we get to the Canary Islands and I get to the airport and I'm, now it's warm too. And I'm like, whoa, it's warm. This must be it. It's warm. There are, tr- there are flowers and animals and plants and green things and, that are actually supposed to be green. And I'm like, this is, this is it. And he's like, well, no, no, we're not there yet. And every place he takes me, one step beyond that, I still think it's the most amazing place it's ever been. Does that make sense? Because it's all I knew. And you were raised in spiritual poverty, friends. Most of you, I was. And then I got saved, and I went, man, this is amazing. And God's like, oh, you're not there yet. No, he doesn't have to speak like Juan. You know, <laughs> I mean, if the Lord speaks to you tonight, I'm like, I knew it was the voice of the Lord, because he's like, hello, I have something for you today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that really messed with my doctrine. You know. I'm sure he speaks in a way you can understand, so for some of you, that couldn't be the case. For Jenny, you might say, Ah, this, ah, this, ah, this, ah, you know. Hey. But whatever. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Listen. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong, man. The problem is, I've never seen it. So you know what happens? He pulls me out of my spiritual poverty and he saves me. And I go, this is, this is it, huh? This is heaven? God goes, no, you know, if I'd have told Juan, wow, we're out of the south side of Chicago. This is the best ever. Juan could look at me like, what's wrong with you? No. You could see me going, oh, this is heaven. I'm saved. And he's like, oh, this isn't it. You're just in route. And then what does he do? He puts us in a fellowship. 
And as he puts us in a fellowship, we start to see woodland creatures and crazy creatures and things growing and blossoming. And, and we start to see plants planted because it says he was planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. And I start going, this is it, right? And God goes, no, but we're on our way. And then we start to worship. And as we start to lift our hands and we praise him, and as we praise him, the spirit of God becomes so prevalent upon our lives. And we go, this is it, right, Lord? And God goes, oh, no, 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 this is, but you're on your way. And he starts developing ministries in us. And we find the amazing thing about serving each other and what it's like to see somebody come to know Jesus that's in front of us as we're holding their hands. And we look and go, God, this is it, right? And he goes, oh, no, but you're on your way. And I look at that and I think, well, then I can't even imagine it. And as we continue to pull up out of the overcast and we start to peek and we start to see, we start to see this beautiful, broad horizon in front of us. And I go, wow. And he, God's like, but you don't even have the eyes yet to see how far this spans. You're just so used to looking at it this way that this, even in itself, is amazing. You've seen nothing yet. But there is a day I'm just going to explode. I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to fall on my face. And there is going to be the throne and the angels and the elders and the living creatures and the holy, holy, holy and the worthy, worthy, worthy. And I look at all of that and I think, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. And I can tell you, every step of my life has been like, this is as good as it gets. Sitting in California on a beach, sharing Jesus with people, this is as good as it gets. Oh, no, no, no. I've, got, I've called you to London. And I can honestly tell you in purity of heart, it keeps getting better. And I, I can't even imagine what the Lord has in front. May it be London for the rest of our lives, but whatever it is, I can tell you this. It just gets better. And you know the difference is? I stopped sucking. <laughs> now you can ask my wife for the, you know, the percentage, but <laughs> because when I came to Christ, I came desperate because earthlings suck. But Jesus said this, you're hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. That's what he promised me. Blessed are you who hunger now. You'll be filled. In Psalm 107, 9, he says he satisfies the longing soul. Is your soul longing today? He fills the hungry soul with goodness. So should it surprise me that in John 6, 48, he says, I'm the bread of life. I came to him thirsty. Korah says in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I appear before him? The fear appear before God. David would say in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. Isaiah promised us this in 44.3, I will pour water out on him who is thirsty. Floods on the dry ground. You know what a flood is? That's more water than the ground can take. That's what a flood is, isn't it? I will pour my spirit out on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. So should it surprise me that in John 7, 37, Jesus would say, for him who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living, living water, rivers of living water, from which he spoke of his spirit. Should it surprise me that the book ends? Do you think this is an important topic to God? Revelation 22, the last chapter, 17, says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him, let him who hears come, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Freely? God says, I created you with that appetite for me. 
came to him weary. David said in Psalm 38, 4, All of my iniquities have gone over my head, and like a burden, they're too heavy for me. The promise in Isaiah 61 is that he would give, in verse 3, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Not just remove the heaviness, but replace it with the spirit of praise. So should it surprise me that Jesus would say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus says, I know you're a sucker. Come to me. You're empty. You're weary. You're hungry. You're thirsty. Come to me. And I won't just fill you. I will make you so full that all the suckers around you can find the living water that they're, they're craving too. Isaiah 55.1 says this, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you with no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and work so hard on what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and you'll delight in what is good and your soul, your soul will delight in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that your soul may live. Have you ever eaten so much food that your mouth is still hungry but there's no way your body can eat more? I've had that over the last couple of days. I think most of us, when we were cooking these chicken legs at the men's advance, I think we all said that we'd come to a pace where we think we could consistently eat chicken legs for the rest of our life at that pace, never stopping. They'd cook them, they'd come up, we'd eat them, they'd cook them, they'd come, and we were just, we, we could have done that all day. We ran out of legs. Which, by the way, we can all call grace today. The Bible says that the eye is never satisfied because it's always looking. Because the eye, by the way, is the searchlight for the appetite. And until that appetite is met, you will die at the feast. And it's in front of you now. Now look at We're all made of dust. And that dust can be retired today. Oh, sooner or later, that dust is going to go back to the ground it came from. And when it does, good riddance. R.I.P. Because in the end of it all, that's not all I am. And that's not all you are. And you can throw your chains on Jeb today and say, I'm just going to cling to this world and keep a worldview that's that's underneath the overcast. And if you do, enjoy the temporary while you have it because it won't be long before it'll be empty. But I'm here to tell you, I am so satisfied. And I haven't even gotten home, but every time I stop, I go, this is the best place I've ever been. I love what I get to do. I love that I get to be with you. I love what God's word says. It means more to me today than it ever has. I love how he's changing me and how he's developing my family, our family. I can hardly wait to see what he's, you know, when he says, get in the car, let's take this up a level. I don't even know what that looks like yet. I just know this, that because I accepted Christ's gift, I chose to be the passenger instead of the driver. And Jesus knows where he's going. Now, either you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ today, or you haven't. And I'm not selling you anything. Notice, come by without money, without price. See, the difference between Jesus' economy and anyone else's is Christ has actually paid for everything. Because the difference between this world and Jesus is the difference of the word grace. 
My God is a God of grace. And he would rather give you what you could never afford. And that is everything you need and crave, but you don't know it yet. God so loved you, he sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay for all of your wrongdoing and mine too. And as he did, your sins, my guilt, they were all paid for. And then he rose again to offer you a new life, one where we are no longer attached to this world the way we were before. We've seen the oversight of it. And seeing the oversight of it, that's where I want to operate. So I want to pray with you. But you have a choice to make. You can know that information, but you could walk into a McDonald's and, and you could, well, I could say you could die of malnutrition, but I don't want to argue that point. But you can walk into a McDonald's all day, but it won't make you a burger. The same way you can walk into a church and it won't make you a Christian. You have to accept the gift of Jesus and the opportunity. Look, everything's been done. The price has been paid. The only thing that's left is for you to accept that gift and allow Jesus the right, that he, the right to, to your life that he deserves. Will you pray with me? And then we'll build an ark, I suppose, here. That's what it sounds like. I was really hoping that was the window and not you, Micah, I suppose. So. So, so. It's leaking, huh? So, okay. Don't worry. You're all safe. Pray for Micah and the soundboard. <laughs> Sorry. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to be a parasite, I want to be a giver. I want to be that font of living water you promised that I would be in the Gospel of John. I want to be overflowing with joy, abundant, more than I can contain. Like you said, a flood, more than I'm able to hold, to draw in. And you've intended that, Lord, so that I would not just consume, but that I would be used to overflow. And in overflowing, that the thirsty and starving around would find what they're looking for in you. You've told us that you will do all of this even to Jeb and to the others that have to come so that the world would know that you are the Lord. You are God Almighty. So for every Christian here, myself included, Lord, I pray that we would not live a life that somehow knows intellectually, theoretically, hypothetically, that you are Lord God Almighty, but practically not. May we live a life in total trust that you are a God who is almighty. And again, in your presence is the fullness of joy, the abundance of joy. Jesus, you didn't come to give us life. You came to give us life abundant, more than we can have. I'm sorry, more than we can contain so that we would spill life on others. You've come to give us joy abundant, that we would spill joy on each other. That we would be the portal, and not just the receptacle, but the portal of your love, your grace, your life. But in this room right now, if there be any or many who have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, perhaps they didn't know how simple it was that you so loved them that you sent your son to die on the cross that if they would accept that gift, that they wouldn't perish, that they could actually be redeemed and declared innocent, washed clean from all of their sins. Even right now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show them their need. And look, if you're not sure, or if you're sure you haven't, you can be sure out here that you have accepted the gift and your name is written on the book of, in the book of life. All you have to do is say yes and let the Lord transform you. And so I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And beloved, if you agree, at the end, I ask you to say, Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I confess to you, I'm hungry. I'm, I, I'm, there's an appetite in my heart right now that I am not getting met. And Jesus, you promised that if you really did die for me on the cross and raise again, that I could have life to the fullest, abundant life, eternal life. That I would live in the joy of that. That I could live in a relationship with you, my creator who desires to be with me. 
Well, then I say yes. I say yes to your call on my life. I say yes to your gift at the cross. And as you've resurrected, I declare you my Lord. I get out of the driver's seat and I say, you'd take me out of my own spiritual neighborhood and bring me to that place where you have for me. And in that, I just pray, God, I pray even now that you give me the faith to enjoy the ride. Reinvent me. I'm yours. If you agree, as I say in Jesus' name, I ask you to say,